This week, we're continuing our conversation around owning the perception or how we land with our teams and really excited to invite my first guest to the Leading on Purpose podcast. She's Susan Spiro and uh, I'll cut over to our conversation here in just a few moments. We had such a good conversation around intention versus perception when we talk about how we land with our teams. And we also spent some time talking about the importance of the affiliative leadership style, which is a leadership style that's heavily focused on creating trust and harmony in the workplace. Had such a great conversation with Susan that we actually had to break it into two parts. And so this week, I'm excited to release the first part of that conversation where you get a chance to get to know who Susan is, what she's all about. And we get into our conversation around intention versus perception. So enjoy. It's the Leading on Purpose podcast, helping leaders, teams, and organizations lead more intentionally, effectively, and with purpose. Well, hey, how you doing, Susan? I'm good. How are you, John? Fantastic. Thanks so much for uh, being my first ever guest on the Lean on Purpose podcast. I'm honored. <laughs> so I'm the best guest you've ever had. The best. No one's been better <laughs> than you. So, no, I really appreciate you doing this and uh, appreciate getting to know you the last couple of years as really a colleague in the leadership development and consulting space. Um, but why don't you remind me a little bit around the work that you do as a consultant currently? Uh, would love to you know, hear a little bit about who you work with and what kind of work you're you're most often doing with leaders. Okay. Well, I've had my consulting company for 35 years. Wow. Started when I was four. <laughs> of course. And uh, we do strategic planning, team development, leadership training, and executive coaching. Those okay. are the four areas. Okay. Uh, within that, do you have a favorite area? This week? Yeah. <laughs> executive coaching. Executive coaching. Yep. Why that? I just like the one-on-one. -on -one. It tends to be lower stress and less organization. I'm not organizing a large group of people or even a small group of people. It's just the two of us. And it. I like the improv acting part of it. It's not acting, but I never know what's going to come up. Yeah. I might say to the person at the beginning of a session, so what are your goals for this session or what are your goals for this coaching work that we're doing. And then within that, the person will say, I want to work on these three things, but point two leads us down somewhere else. Yeah. And it's my responsibility to notice the, the detour and leave a trail of breadcrumbs so we can get back, but to decide with the person whether that detour is relevant or whether we should talk about it later. Yep. So- yeah, I love that uh, aspect you mentioned. The person that taught me about coaching um, would always say, "Dance in the moment." Perfect. And so, leave you know, let go of your need to control and predict. To kind of quote uh, Brene Brown on vulnerability, but just dance in the moment and take whatever's kind of there. But I love the idea of let's leave a few breadcrumbs so we know where we came from in case we need to get back. <laughs> exactly. And so, and often the person will ask me a question or pose a problem. And the first thing that comes to my head is I don't have the slightest idea what to do with that. Yeah. But if we dance in the moment, I know, okay, let me just listen better and let me ask some different questions and we'll figure it out together. Yeah. I think that's a great deal of fun. Yeah, absolutely. The other thing you said that I really appreciate too is the intimacy factor of being one-to-one mm -hmm. -one with mm -hmm. someone. It feels like it's just got a, 
a higher nature of impact that you can have sometimes in that setting. What about the virtual environment? Have you done a lot of coaching virtual? Are you getting back to in-person? What's, what's Uh, kind of been the impact of that? a fair amount virtually. Okay. Coaching virtually is not nearly as painful or ineffective as strategic planning. Virtually. Virtually. (laughs) We're Um, virtually strategically planning. Yeah. (laughs) You know, there's something about seeing all the little boxes on Zoom. I met someone recently who I'd only ever met on Zoom. And she went like this. Oh, you have legs. (laughs) You're three dimensional. (laughs) Three dimensional. You're not just a little box on Zoom. And so when it's a, a, a group or a team, I find it much harder to read the room and and respond to the the group dynamic. Yeah. If it's just you and me on a coaching call, n- almost as good as being in person. Yeah. Um, I agree. But with a group it's harder and if you're putting up PowerPoint, you're juggling. I never leave the PowerPoint up long enough cuz I want to see the faces when yep. I'm talking to people. So, yeah. Um I've made I've made peace with the virtual world, but it's not my it's not my happy place. <laughs> yeah, from a one to one coaching perspective, I've kind of found the same thing. The other benefit that has kept me largely virtual, I'm willing to go in person if the client really you know wants to be in person. But the flexibility I can offer them mm-hmm. when it's virtual, if I'm heading to your office to be in person uh, and it's on my calendar, we're probably not going to be able to reschedule after a certain point. Right. If we have a virtual you know, appointment and we're going to be on zoom and you reach out to me, let's say first thing in the morning and we're supposed to meet this afternoon. There's probably enough flexibility there that we can get you rescheduled. Now you can't do that to me week after week after week, but I do like the flexibility that the virtual environment has been able to offer. And I think in person only has a slight edge when you're talking about coaching over virtual, I think virtual can still be. And then there's the saving on travel time. There's that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Tell me, uh, remind me a bit around how you got into consulting. <laughs> like other important decisions in my life, pretty much by accident. <laughs> if you had said to me 40 years ago, do you see yourself running a consulting practice? I would have said, of course not. Yeah. But um, I'd had a pattern my first few jobs in my career that after five years I'd get bored. Okay. And I hit one of those boredom walls in my prior job. Really? where I was in front of a group of people leading a seminar mm-hmm. and I must have been making sense. And I, I was talking cause I could feel my lips moving and I had no idea what I was saying, but I must've been making sense because people were raising their hands and taking notes and engaging me in conversation. And I was not home. Yeah. And I went to my boss and said, please give me something to do that has the word new in front of it. <laughs> and he said, well, you're doing really well with this. I have four more months of this seminar scheduled for you. Yeah. And something inside me just died. I know in one of your earlier podcasts, you were talking about you time and, and what charges your battery. Yeah. And my battery went to zero in a wow. split second. Really? It was it was stunning. And I went home and I said to my husband, as soon as we refinance the house, I'm I'm leaving my job. How'd that land? Oh, badly. <laughs> and he said, well, what will you do? And he's self-employed in another field. And I said, don't worry, dear. I will not be self-employed. One of us needs paid you know, benefits, yeah. a predictable check. I will take a month off, read a bad novel, maybe go to the beach and, when, and have an identity crisis. And when I come back, I'll figure out what else to do, which yeah. was not real reassuring to him. Um, 
And during that month off, three people said, until you're employed, will you do this project for me? And I said, sure, I'll, you know, pay me and I'll show up. Yeah. And one thing led to another. And six months later, somebody said to me, so how long have you had your consulting practice? And John, I did this. (laughs) Are you talking to me? And it, it was just completely by accident. And I thought, well, I'll be darned. I guess I have am running a consulting practice here Yeah. because one project had led to the next. So I bought a computer and Away business, went. business cards. And, and now when people want to go to coffee with me and say, I, I think I'm st- I want to start a consulting practice, tell me about your first business plan. A, I didn't have one. B, I didn't know how to write one. Yep. Um, but I, I learned well on my feet and I figured it out. And um, the practice shifted away from training. So I was doing a smaller percentage of training and a greater percentage of strategic planning yeah. and coaching. Okay. But it's been, it's been an adventure. It's been fun. <laughs> so you mentioned the, the aspect of the work you're enjoying most now, which is the coaching overall. What do you like most about being a consultant? I like the, the variety. Okay. I like working with different people in different organizations with different personalities in different organizational cultures and then also seeing the similarities. Okay. Yep. If you have two people and they're very different personalities and their their work environment is entirely different. Yeah. And they may still be struggling with how do I build trust with my team or how do I resolve this conflict? Yeah. Which gets back to what you and I know which is if you get two or more people together you have a good chance of getting the same kinds of friction. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Our stories of getting into uh, consulting have some similarities. So mine was kind of by accident, but had some intention behind it. But uh, long story short, uh, you know, I was working at Red Robin for years and years and it was a great, great 20 year run there. And uh, towards the end, really getting focused on leadership development and, you know, starting to feel the tug on the shirt of, I want to go do this for more organizations, have a broader impact if I can. And uh, I remember (laughs) we had a a relationship with a nonprofit and this nonprofit organization would, from time to time, the CEO or members of their executive team would come and join some of the leadership development stuff we were putting on inside Red Robin's four walls. And uh, I remember the CEO pulled me aside one day and said, is there any chance you can come over and, and facilitate some of this for the rest of our leadership team? And so, of course, you know, I checked in with Red Robin's leadership. They're like, absolutely. And because it's a nonprofit, we'll pay for the materials. Nice. And so I go over and facilitate this. And I remember the CEO pulled me aside at the end and said, do you do this? <laughs> and I'm like, I'd like to do this. <laughs> And make me an offer. Yeah. And they, they became my first client. I I don't think I've heard that story. Yeah. And so partly by accident, but certainly some intentionality behind, you know, I want to broaden this. I want to take this show on the road. And so, and you mentioned impact and that's, that's part of what I find. And I think you find. Yeah, absolutely. Meaningful about consulting. When I was doing training in my other job, one of my colleagues used to call it spray and pray. Because a group would come in, we'd do our shtick. Yep. They'd leave. I'd never see them again. Kind of fingers crossed. Hopefully this sticks. Yeah. And I don't know if I ever told you about the story about the guy that stopped me in the hall. No. And he was wearing the string tie and the cowboy hats and the boots and the pearl buttons, the whole look. And he was pointing at me like this. And he said, I know you. You were my teacher. 
And generally, unless someone is really brilliant or obnoxious, once the group is done, if I only see him once, I'm not going to remember their name. And I said, yes, I'm Susan. What's your name, sir? And he told me his name. And I said, which seminar were you in? He said, you know what? I don't remember. And I said, was it this one, this one, or this one? And I named recent programs I'd done. He scratched his head and he said, you know, I don't remember, but I do know you had some really good jokes. (laughs) And I just thought, if he doesn't even remember the name of the seminar or the topic, there's no way that there was any transfer of learning. There was no way of any application. The noodle did not stick to the wall. Yeah. As opposed to when you and I have long-term consulting relationships with people and we work with them for several years and we know their team and we know their story, we have a better chance of seeing what's being applied and what noodle is sticking to which wall and where we can help them correct. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. For me, it's you know, I've been asked before, what do you enjoy most versus being on the corporate side of things? And I would say depth and quality. Perfect. The depth and quality with which I can go on a particular need or project, whole other level. And, you know, certainly being within an organization, your opportunity to have impact is probably greater because you, you're inside there. In some ways. Yeah, in some ways. But you get spread a little thin. Because there's so many things that need to be worked on and so many things coming across your desk, squirrels everywhere. (laughs) It can be hard to take something all the way through to 100% sometimes. And so that's the one of the best things I've appreciated around, you know, the quality and and depth has been the two big pieces for me. What have you found is different about how you can have impact when you're external, when you're not inside the organization? Uh, I I think certainly managing expectations is a big piece with the client and knowing that, you know, no four hour workshop I've ever been to is going to change an organization. It's going to change the world and we can't solve all the world's problems in that amount of time. And so I like to think about what are we going to do before and after that's really going to drive this home and agree on what we think it's going to impact. And um, I've been asked before I was doing a, a session or as facilitating with a group, basically we were bringing a new leadership team together and they'd never worked together. And there was some egos on the team and some competing ideals. And so this was just a get the cards out on the table type session that we were having. And so they asked me the, this question, what's the worst thing you've seen happen after a session like this? And just off the top of my head, my answer was nothing. Perfect. And that's what I think about my any project I'm doing. It's the worst thing I can think of is that you do nothing after this. And so the magic's going to happen after the session. The magic's going to happen when you debrief the concepts that you think you learned and try to think about how you're going to implement them as an organization. It's not my workshop. It's what you do with the information from the workshop. And I think that's been you know the biggest piece to help clients think through so that you don't become guilty of you know, just coming in and doing a presentation and you kind of fly in and fly out. I'm, I'm less a fan of those types of engagements. I think those engagements are fine. And I think the consultants that provide those do a fine job of, I'm going to come in and do four hours on X topic. Um, but I'm looking to add a little more depth to what I'm providing. It's a little messier, less impact. I think the other thing that happens for us as externals is because we're outside the organization, 
we hopefully do have and were perceived as being more objective. Yeah. And that expression, you can't be a prophet in your own land. Yeah. Often you and I will say things that the CEO or the team leader has said or wants to say, but for some reason it's more credible because we're outside the organization. Yep. And uh, I know you talked about intention and impact in one of your other sessions. Yeah. Yeah. So kind of kicked off the season wanting leaders to think about their ownership of a potential discrepancy that can be there between what you intend, what you think you're doing versus how it's landing the impact it's having. Yeah. And it's just, it's almost amusing to me that sometimes we can, you and I as externals can have more impact just because we're outside the organization. Yeah. 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 Funny how that happens. So one final question, maybe on your background, what do you miss most about being on the inside and working within an organization and being a leader yourself? I miss being part of a team. Yeah. And having the ongoing relationships um, and and feeling like as an internal change agent or as an internal team member that I can have a more ongoing, I have a better chance at an ongoing impact. Yeah. Um, and it's sometimes easier to build trust if we're inside the organization. Yep. Um, but so I, I I've made really good friends within and had solid relationships with some of the people that I've worked with. Yeah. And I was going to say, but, and I don't miss the office politics. Okay. And ha- I, I do appreciate having some choice about who I work with. Yep. If, if, I meet someone in a client organization who I feel is really not honest, not ethical, just prickly and difficult to work with. Sometimes I see that as a challenge. Yep. Often I say, you know, I, you've got your boundaries up. You're not taking in. I've fired clients when I feel like, their arms are crossed yep. and they have their fingers in their ear and they're all they can say is it's the other guy's fault. And they're not, you talked about ownership last time. They're taking zero ownership. Yep. And I say to that person, if you take zero ownership, our work here is done. I can't take any more of your time or your organization's money Yeah. because it's not going anywhere. Yep. And if you change your mind, let's talk. Couldn't agree more. And sadly, I've had a few of those situations myself where you run into that wall of a couple of individuals at the top just aren't willing to, at the end of the day, make the changes that are going to create breakthroughs for your team or at least role model what it is you're trying to work on with other leaders in the organization. Or at least listen and be vulnerable enough to hear the feedback. Yeah. Yep. It it goes back to intention and perception or impact that. I might think I'm being helpful to you. Yeah. But if my impact to you is that I'm being annoying or intrusive, <laughs> it doesn't matter what my intention is. I yeah. I really believe there're probably some exceptions, but I really believe that no one gets out of bed in the morning and says, "Let's see, who can I annoy today?" Yeah. <laughs> They really believe that in their own work view of reality, what they're doing is right. Yeah. 
And if they're not willing to listen to how it's landing on the other person. Yeah. And that it doesn't matter that if if I'm my intention is to be funny and you see me as sarcastic and cutting, it doesn't matter that I'm trying to be funny. It's ma- it matters that it landed badly. Yep. And you and I have talked about the only thing worse than that gap that you mentioned in a, in your other session, the gap between what I intend and how I land on you. The only thing worse is when I don't know that I landed badly. Yeah. Either because I'm not watching the nonverbals. I haven't noticed that when I asked you to do something, you went like this and rolled your eyes back in your head and said, okay, I'll do it. And your mouth said, okay. And everything else about you said, I'm furious with you for even asking that I didn't notice or that you didn't have the courage. And I hadn't set up the environment to make you you comfortable. Give me some feedback and say, you know, Susan, you asked me to do this and I'm really offended that you even asked. Yeah. And so, the gap is bad enough when I don't notice the gap. It's in that blind spot area. It's yeah. even worse. Yeah. Yeah. Some of the toughest feedback I got was from a, an outgoing team member. Uh, his name was Dave. And, uh, you know, Dave had not, you know, shared with me that he was frustrated or, or that he was struggling with me. And uh, some of the best feedback I ever got from anyone that I've ever worked with came from Dave. Sadly, it was on the day of his resignation. Yeah. And so while it cleared up a blind spot, it was also evidence to what you're saying. It was like, hey, you're not landing the way that you think you're landing. Because as he described what he was experiencing from me, which was, hey, it really feels like it's all about you. It's all about your achievements and you, you, you. And in my mind, I'm like, holy smokes, that's not what I stand for at all. That's not what I intend. Mattered not because to Dave, that's how I was landing. The other problem that you just described is here he is giving me the feedback on his way out. And so the other thing I learned was, boy, how much have I failed this person by not only having a gap between intention and perception, but by not making Dave comfortable before he quits to come and tell me, hey, I'm having this this issue with you. So part of it is you failed and you didn't create that environment. Yeah. But the other part, his part of the equation is he didn't have the courage to tell you. Yeah. And that that gets to an issue that I've struggled with for a long time, which is if you and I have static, if you and I have lack of trust, whatever, how much of it is your responsibility and how much of it is mine? Yeah. And I'd been thinking about that. Different situations had made me wonder. Yeah. And I was at a conference with Gloria Steinem, who some people listening to this podcast will know who she is, and some people have no idea. Look her up. She was, <laughs> she was a force to contend with. But she was giving a talk, so it was me and Gloria Steinem and 500 of her closest friends in the conference room. Sounds intimate. <laughs> oh, it was very intimate. And she did Q&A, so I walked up to the, the mic, and she said, yes, yeah, you there. And I said, Miss Steinem, she said, please call me Gloria, which was sort of... <laughs> nerving. I said, if you and I work together or we had a friendship and there was static between us, how how do I know how much is my responsibility that I bring to the party and how much is your responsibility? And she leaned back a little and she said, well, that's an interesting question. She thought about it for a minute. And she said, you know, I suppose you could say mathematically it's 50-50, but it's really 100-100. And by that, I mean if you and I have a relationship and we care about the relationship, yeah. either because we're friends or because we have to work together, whether we like each other or not, 
if the relationship matters, instead of saying that part's your baggage and this part is my baggage, we say, here's the problem. What are you and I going to do to address it? It's great. We, we have to see each other as a team to address that problem as opposed to my pointing a finger and saying, you're the problem. No, you're the problem. Right. Because it's true that sometimes people walk in the room and what they're upset about has nothing to do with you. Right. It's the baggage. It's the, they, what yeah, is the, that expression? They woke up on the wrong side of the bed. Yeah. It, they're having a bad day. They're having a bad year, whatever. Right. And it's, it's not my fault. But if I want to have a relationship with that person, I need to be willing to problem solve and ask questions and listen and do the things that Dave didn't think you were willing to do. Yeah. I love the notion, too, that you're mentioning there of because this is how I approach coaching. And when I teach other leaders how to coach their teams, it's very much forward thinking. And so we are where we are today. And so it's not as helpful to go back in time and answer the question, whose fault is this? But I love the notion that you mentioned there's this issue here that's in front of both of us. Can we agree on that? And then can we also agree on how we're going to work together going forward to resolve it? I think it's a very um, kind of possibilities driven type conversation as opposed to a blame game of, you know, how we got where we're at. Where and we're sometimes at. people will say, really, it has nothing to do with you. I had a fight with my spouse or whatever. And I say... Uh, I'm sorry to hear that. How can I help you get through the day, given that you're having a rough day? Mm -hmm. I still need to be willing to engage in the problem solving, yep. even if I'm not the cause. Yeah, I think that's great ownership. Yep. <laughs> well, that wraps up the first part of my conversation with Susan. Uh, tune in in a couple weeks as I release part two, where we dig more into the affiliative leadership style and her work, her book, her research on the importance of creating trust and harmony in the workplace. Don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you're taking in this podcast. It really helps me out. And thanks so much for tuning in.